Welcome to the EEO Studio, a podcast produced by DCI Consulting Group. This is Kelly Wilson, your host for today's podcast. Joining me today as a co-host is Rosemary Cox. Hi, everyone. We are in season one of the podcast and have developed a great lineup of speakers. You'll be hearing from academics, practitioners, consultants, lawyers, and many more on our season topic of workplace civility, moving forward together. This episode features Mindy Weinstein, who will be talking to us today about the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's initiatives on civility and how to use it as a means to prevent harassment in the workplace. We know that the EEOC has been very busy with creating a task force on this topic, holding public meetings, and releasing guidance. And so we are very appreciative of Mindy taking the time to speak with us today, and we look forward to hearing what she has to share. Welcome to the show, Mindy. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Okay, well, let me start with a little bit about EEOC. Um, As many of you may know, EEOC is an independent federal agency. We're responsible for enforcing federal laws that prohibit discrimination in employment. Uh, We were created in 1964 as part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which makes it illegal to discriminate based on race, color, sex, national origin, and religion, and also makes it illegal for employers to retaliate against people oppose discrimination or file a charge with us. Um, Over the years, we've gained additional responsibilities. So now, in addition to enforcing that law, we also enforce laws that prohibit discrimination based on age, if you're 40 or older, disability, genetic information, and um, we enforce the Equal Pay Act, which prohibits discrimination based on sex and compensation. And um, all these laws generally apply to employers with 15 or more employees also apply to state and local agencies, federal agencies, and in order to enforce all these laws, the EOC has 53 field offices around the country where we take charges of discrimination, investigate charges, we handle some federal sector cases, we conduct outreach and education, we also have a litigation program where in select cases we file suit to obtain relief for victims of discrimination. For um, the past 10 years, I have been responsible for overseeing the operations of one of those 53 offices, the EOC's Washington field office here in Washington, D.C. Great. And 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 with that, with overseeing the field office, um, when did the agency start to um, focus on civility as a as a topic of interest? Like kind of what drove that to uptick for the agency? Well, the EOC has been focused on the issue of harassment and Um, For several years, as you mentioned, the EEOC developed a task force that specifically looked at harassment, the focus being preventing harassment in the workplace. And out of that grew um, uh, the focus on civility in the workplace and how to promote civility in an effort to prevent harassment. Thank you for making that that tie for us. And I think it would be great to hear a um, a little bit more about the historical context that led to uh, the different initiatives around civility, um, helping to curb, sex, you know, harassment in the workplace and sexual harassment in the workplace. If you can d- dive into that a little bit more, I think that would be helpful. So, as I mentioned, we came into existence as part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and many of the early cases focused on discrimination in hiring and advertising and recruitment and discipline, discharge, we had pay cases. But over time, there was this question of whether harassment was covered by the law as well. Um, 
Almost 40 years ago, in 1980, the EOC said yes and issued guidelines saying that sexual harassment is illegal under Title VII. A hostile working environment is discrimination under our laws. Um, in 1986, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed in a case against um, a company called Meritor Savings Bank. And that case and subsequent Supreme Court decision decisions after that helped answer a lot of questions about what harassment is and when a company is liable for it. Some of the key takeaways from those cases were in order for it to be harassment, it has to be treatment that is based on a person's sex or race or some other type of discrimination that's covered by the laws we enforce. It's not harassment if the boss is a jerk to everybody. The harassment must also be unwelcome. And then there have been a lot of cases and questions about when is an employer legally responsible or liable for it. And the courts made clear that an employer is automatically liable if the harassment includes a tangible job action, such as firing someone for refusing to have sex with the boss or giving someone a raise because she agreed to have sex with the boss. But then there are a lot of cases where there isn't a tangible job action such as that. And if the harasser is a supervisor, an employer may still be liable if the harassment is severe or pervasive unless the employer can show that it took appropriate efforts to prevent and correct harassment and that the victim didn't take advantage of those efforts. So these cases that I'm describing here made it clear that employers need to take concrete steps to prevent and correct harassment. Doing that may mean that even if harassment occurs, the employer isn't going to be held legally accountable for it. So since all this case law developed over the years, employers that weren't already doing so began taking steps necessary to prove that they were trying to prevent and correct harassment. And, and also, of course, to try to make a workplace environment that was conducive to a positive um, working situation where people felt good about working there, which could, of course, contribute to the bottom line and having an effective, productive workforce. So some of the steps that employers took to, to um, eliminate harassment and comply with these legal standards often included having anti-harassment policies and having complaint procedures and also conducting training. But what we found is that all these years went by and the cases came down and, and yet harassment persisted. And there were, despite all these efforts that employers were making to try to create an environment that was free of harassment. So as discussed earlier, um, in 2015, the EOC formed a select task force to address the issue of harassment and how to prevent it. It was led by then commissioner, now acting chair at the EOC, Victoria Lipnick, and commissioner he Commissioner Chai Feldblum. The task force was composed of a variety of people, social scientists, academics, attorneys on both sides of the aisle, advocates, employer groups, and the group was really looking at how to best prevent harassment in the workplace. In 2016, before the Me Too movement exploded, um, the this task force issued a report, and one of the key findings of that report is that training is a very important component of anti-harassment efforts, that most employers that, who conduct training, which is, you know, I'm sure the vast majority of employers, certainly larger employers, they conduct training that we would probably call compliance training, training that focuses on what it means to comply with the law, what the rules are, what the law is, what people's responsibilities are, what is prohibited under the law. 
And the task force find, though, found, though, that this type of training isn't really sufficient. In fact, some studies indicate that it may have no effect or even a negative effect on preventing harassment in the workplace and that it really needs to be supplemented with other types of training. And out of this work grew the idea that what, what is really important is the need um, to provide civility training and bystander training to try to really prevent harassment in the workplace. And I'd be happy to talk about that more if you would like. I would love to hear you talk more about that and let me give you a leading question into that. So um, I assume as with a lot of things that the government puts in place that some of the employers are afraid to, you know, come forth and say, yes, I need this training, um, please help me, because they're always afraid, oh, they're gonna, I'm going to get an audit or, you know, I'm going to be on somebody's radar. Did you see, so talk about kind of what that training is and did you see that at first and, then, and now that it's been in place for a while, are you seeing companies be more, uh, volunteering more for this training? Hope that made sense. So let me start by telling you a little bit about what the training is. And we are not the only people we, we who conduct this training. We do now offer it as a um, as a product that um, employers can reach out to us and basically hire us to do training at their workplace. There are other um, uh, there are law firms and other organizations that provide this sort of training. So let me I guess start by talking about what we think is important to have as uh, part of a civility training program, and I'm also happy to talk about the training that we um, created and provide to employers and how employers have responded to that. Um, okay, so first off, what do we mean by civility training or bystander training? The task force found that organizational culture is one of the key drivers of harassment and that Knowing what is un unacceptable under the law, as I mentioned, this compliance type training is important, but not enough. So civility training is instead, it's not focused on sexual harassment or racial harassment or disability harassment or age harassment per se. Instead, civility training focuses on promoting respect and civility in the workplace generally. Because research shows that incivility often precedes harassment, it can escalate to harassment, it creates an environment where harassment can thrive. So this type of training focuses on the employers, communicating the employer's expectations of civility and respect, providing management and employees the tools they need to meet such expectations. It, it asks what is appropriate in our workplace. It's very skills-based. So it focuses on interpersonal skills, helping people build interpersonal skills. It focuses on conflict resolution and also teaches supervisors how to handle this type of incivility in the workplace, what to do, how to coach people, those sorts of things. It focuses on the positive, what people should do, instead of the negative, what they shouldn't do. Um, we believe, based on the work that was done by the task force, that a workplace that has respect and civility is just incompatible with a workplace that is filled with harassment. Um, related to the civility training, I just want to mention also is bystander training. And um, probably many people have heard of bystander training. It's often been used as a violence prevention strategy. Often you hear about it on campuses in an effort to um, prevent sexual assaults. 
this type of training has been shown to change social norms and empower students on campuses to intervene to prevent sexual assaults. So in the task force looking at training, civility training, also looked at bystander training as sort of a, a good way to provide additional training and tools to employees in terms of not necessarily the person who experiences training, uh, the, excuse me, not only in terms of the person who experiences harassment, but other people who may be bystanders as well. So bystander training involves four basic strategies usually, creating awareness so that people recognize when there's problematic behavior, creating a sense of collective responsibility so people feel like they're responsible for creating the culture they work in, they feel motivated to step up when they feel like there is problematic behavior going on, creating a sense of empowerment so people have the skills they need and the confidence to intervene, and also providing resources, who they can call, what they can do, people who can support them as they intervene. So the, these are the kinds of training that the task force identified would be excellent complements to the more traditional compliance type training that, um, that EEOC ourselves and employers have been doing over the years to try to um, prevent harassment that is occurring in the workplace. Um, you asked me if employers are reluctant to come forward and get the training. I think not. Um, as I mentioned, we're not the only folks who do it, but we think we have a really good program. We have had this training program in place for about, I think about a year, and um, so far we've trained, I think, about a th um, close to 10,000 people on it. We, we have small classes. They can't be more than about 30 to 35 people. When, you, when you're doing these trainings, it sounds like you've impacted a lot of, of folks, about 10,000 people and 30 to 35 at a time. What would you say is a typical uh, length for this training, and is it um, best fit for like in-person training versus uh, a remote training? Yeah, our training is definitely an in-person training. We have two basic modules, one that is for employees and one that is super for supervisors and managers. The employee training is designed for a three-hour segment. The supervisor training is designed for a four-hour segment. You, know, you never know when you hear training, is it all day, is it two days, is it a week, um, is it ongoing? So I think it's very helpful to know. Uh, are there follow-up classes or, or do the, are people given assignments or um, how do we know people are, are truly making a difference once they go through this? Do you have a follow-up, something that you do? So the question is really good. We think that, you know, a one-shot training is not going to you know, be all that is sufficient. We're, I'm happy to talk about things beyond training as well, but we think it's a piece of creating a culture that is respectful and civil and creating an environment in which harassment has no place. Um, but even one training, while part of a larger program of anti-harassment efforts, is not, is not going to be enough. We think harassment training should be repeated. Um, maybe different styles, different modes, different methods, but it's not like you do it once and you don't have to do it again for 10 years. That's not the case. Um, but one thing that we're, we are doing, we've um, just begun asking employers that hire us to do this kind of training, is conducting climate surveys. We think that's a really important part of any kind of anti-harassment initiative so that employers can get an honest look, if the employer does it itself, 
um, employers can get a really honest look before they engage in these efforts of how people feel. Do people feel comfortable in the workplace? Do they observe the types of conduct that um, would be harassment or just a violation of the company's expectations of how people behave? And then you conduct the training or engage in other um, anti-harassment efforts, and then you do another survey to assess, is this working? And maybe that survey is conducted numerous times, shortly after the training, for example, maybe three months later, six months later, et cetera. We think that kind of monitoring and self-assessment is super important for employers to think about doing. And as I mentioned, EEOC, as we've begun, um, as we've been doing these respectful workplaces training, we are now asking employers to allow us to do anonymous surveys as well, so that we can try to collect some data on um, you know, feedback so that we get a sense of whether people think this is helpful, whether it is led to a decrease in incidents that people experience as inappropriate behavior at work and just creating a healthier, more productive, happy work environment. And if you're allowed to speak to it, have you noticed that after the trainings you've had an, a, a decrease in these types of complaints? Well, we have not. We, we certainly at EEOC have not experienced a decrease in, in um, harassment complaints. In fact, sexual harassment complaints rose last year. But I don't necessarily think that an um, increase in complaints means that there's more harassment. In fact, in some ways, it might mean that people are just dealing with it. Obviously, we know that the Me Too movement, which really in many ways launched just a little bit over a year ago, um, has had a major impact on the public conversation about harassment in the workplace. And hopefully, while a lot of that has been very painful, of course, hopefully that is leading to good things, including people feeling that they can come forward. Um, studies show the majority of people who were subjected to harassment at work never complained to anybody and don't file charges with the EEOC and just either suffer in silence and which of course can have very negative impacts not only on them personally but on their productivity and on their coworkers, or they leave, which also can have very negative consequences for them and for the workplace. So I don't think that not, you know, showing that people don't complain is necessarily a good thing. Um, in fact, it, it might be the opposite. We want to create an environment where people feel safe coming forward to the employer to say, hey, you know, this is going on, it's happening to me or it's happening to my coworker and I saw it. And that gives an employer a real opportunity to be able to fix things and address problems very quickly before they escalate to something that could be illegal, that they could be liable for, that someone could file a charge about or a lawsuit. I mean, we want people to come forward when, when they experience problems in the workplace. I think you know, as, as much as employers may not want to hear it, I think they'd rather hear it early on when they can do something about it. I think that's a great a great point. I think it ties back into your, your bystanders training that you're trying to empower employees and, and, and managers and everyone to speak up on behalf of other folks that they're seeing this, um, being, being seen. You're trying to get the, these people to feel empowered to um, speak up when they're seeing harassment in the workplace. So I, I agree with you. I think that you would probably see an uptick and that would not be detrimental to your efforts. So I appreciate you going into that much detail about, you know, why we might actually see the opposite and not, not see a decrease, but an increase um, in those types of complaints. And I also find it very 
very serendipitous that, you know, um, you all came out with the task force and started driving this initiative. And then the Me Too movement, um, you know, it, it did come into the public conversation. And I think those two things together and, and a lot of the efforts that researchers and, and uh, practitioners are doing around this topic can only help empower and make others feel more comfortable speaking up. Uh, Rosemary, do you have anything to share? Um, any questions right now? I just have a kind of a personal question, I suppose. Um, this training sounds fabulous to me. It sounds like it, it hits all of the right notes that, that we need, particularly in, in these days that we're having now. Um, do I have to be part of an organization to attend? Or if I'm an individual and I have an interest in attending, could I just do it on my own? Well, at this point, the EOC is offering the training to employers. Um, so we aren't, we aren't at this time holding any sort of general open to the public sessions. But, but let me explain a little bit more about that. The training that we've developed is really tailored to particular employers. So part of it, I mean, we go through the types of um, issues that I've been discussing in this session today. It, we focus on, you know, there's a compliance component, a civility component, and a bystander component to the training. But it's really tailored to the particular employers. So the compliance part, you know, talking about what what the rules are and what, what the employer expects will include a discussion of what the employer's harassment policy is and what the employer's procedures are. And so that everybody feels like, hey, we all work together, these are the expectations, these are the rules, and it, that's part of why we keep the classes small, they're very interactive, they have a live trainer, because we want the people in that room who work together to really feel like they're all on the same page, they're getting the same information, and it creates a climate in which everyone feels like they understand the company norms or the norms of that nonprofit or agency and what to do if they observe things that are out of bounds. Excellent. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. Um, it just, it's so fascinating to me. So um, I really appreciate everything that the EEOC is doing. It's, it's a, so needed these days, and um, I'm really happy to hear that companies are taking advantage of that. I was curious, uh, aside from this training, what other resources um, do you have available for, for companies and, or not only just resources, but how do companies just start um, focusing on this initiative? Well, we have a lot of information on our website. First of all, the actual task force report is available on our website. The executive summary, which is a great um, summary of what the task force found in next steps, all of that is available on our website. And included in that is a number of um, checklists for employers that I think are super helpful in terms of describing what the different key findings are and recommendations and how employers can translate that into actions in terms of prevention efforts in their own workplace. So I would start with the website and the task force report and in particular for employers, the checklists that go through different steps employers can take in terms of policies and procedures and training, and also a very key component we haven't talked about yet, which is the importance of leadership and accountability in this area. So there's a ton of information about that on our website. There's also a document 
called um, Promising Practices for Preventing Harassment, which is another document that pulls together a lot of this information and more that I'm sharing with you today. And much of the stuff from the task force report is in there and again, kind of highlights a lot of what key steps employers can take. There's also information on our website about our own respectful workplaces training. Employers all over the country can contact their local EEOC office or go through our website to get more information about that. We have folks in every EEOC district who, are, who is um, conducting this kind of training and would be happy to talk to employers about what it is and what it costs and arranging um, you know, sessions that they can conduct. And you know, we think it's a super positive initiative and really a very um, useful, positive experience for the employees who attend it. Have we um, addressed, I'd like to at least think of more about leadership and accountability. Um, I guess I, I just want to make sure, how are we holding leaders accountable? So if I'm an organization and I go through this training and, and we have some follow-up, um, I guess I, I would always wonder what is, how are we holding, and it's not necessarily your job to do this, obviously, but how, how can we hold leadership accountable for um, making sure we have civility in the workplace? Any thought? Well, I think there's a couple of um, components to that. The first thing is that top leadership really should be leading the way in demonstrating the company's commitment to anti-harassment efforts. That's a key part of it. That means messaging the, the expectations of the company, modeling appropriate behavior, um, ensuring an emphasis on what the culture is of the company, what is expected, what is not expected, um, including the, man, the top leadership attending the harassment trainings and the civility trainings sending out a video if you can't attend, put, you know, something that really emphasizes that from the very top we are committed to creating an environment that is based on civility and respect in the workplace. I think part of it is that. And the other part is holding people accountable, supervisors, managers, and even coworkers, of course, when they don't um, conduct themselves in a way that is consistent with that culture and values and with the rules of the company. So that doesn't mean you fire everyone who makes a, a stray remark or asks somebody out on a date. You don't. We believe that the um, there should be an appropriate investigation if harassment is found or a violation of a company's rules is found, then proportional appropriate discipline should be imposed. That might be training, it might be a suspension in certain cases, depending on the egregiousness of it, it could be discharged, but there's a range, of course, of options that an employer has, and we think that discipline should be appropriate. But, but not only for the person who was engaged in the harassment, but for supervisors and managers who let it happen, who didn't take appropriate action when they learned of it, who observed it and didn't do anything about it, and of course, for any supervisor or manager who engages in retaliation against somebody who complains, who was a victim of it, you know, we, we want to create an environment in, where pe in which people not only are not subjected to harassment, but in which um, 
where if there are problems, you know, those complaints are taken seriously and supervisors and managers who do the wrong thing and engage in retaliation should be held accountable for that as well. Thank you so much. That felt, that's very helpful. And Kelly, I'm going to throw it back to you. Thanks. Uh, so, Mindy, I think we're starting to um, get to the conclusion of our podcast, and I just wanted to give you the opportunity to share out any final thoughts on this topic that we may not have thought of to ask, but you think that our listening audience would like to know. Um, I would just say that, as I mentioned earlier, civility training and civility practices are part of a holistic approach to addressing harassment in the workplace. It's imp it's critical and it's one piece of a overall package that we think employers should put in place that includes strong policies against harassment, good procedures, appropriate investigations, um, all the things that it takes to try to set the organizational culture in the right direction, make it clear to employees what is expected, how people should treat each other, to create an environment that not only avoids liability and avoids um, people having charges of discrimination and all the costs and problems associated with that, but more importantly creates an environment where people can thrive and be productive and happy workers. And as I mentioned, a lot of information about all of those things is available on the EEOC's website, eeoc.gov, G-O-V. Thank you, Mindy, and thank you for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge. Um, we really appreciate all the agency insights around civility and all the things that you guys are doing. Um, you're a great role model for all the organizations trying to kind of follow, follow behind you. So to all our listeners, please tune in for our next EEO Studio podcast. And if you would like to learn a little bit more about DCI Consulting Group, please go to our website at www.dciconsult.com. Thank you. <laughs>